With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Good evening. Good midnight. This is Nikki. This is Discover the Awe in Autism. And I'm awake from here but not without internet. <laughs> so I'm hoping you all can hear me because I don't have my earphones because my twins hid them somewhere and I've spent the last 10 minutes looking for them. But then I realized that my computer has a mic and this should be transmitting properly. But if not, well, let's, I'll check it and I might have to do the show a third time. <laughs> Hopefully it's working now. So uh, thank you for joining me. If you're joining me or if you're downloading this at a later time, thank you for for doing that. It is 12.02 January 24th, and uh, there's a beautiful, beautiful snow outside. I just looked out the window, and it is just blanketed. The street, everything is just blanketed in this beautiful snow. And it's beautiful because I don't have to go anywhere tomorrow, so <laughs> I can just enjoy it and not have to worry about driving in it and um, just enjoy it for what it is. I'm not a big snow fan, but you can't deny you know, the beauty of it sometimes and just, just how it just takes over the whole landscape. So I've had kind of like two weeks to prepare for this show, and I decided I wanted to kind of start off with a caveat, which is that I'm not speaking to you as an expert. I'm speaking to you as a mother. Spent the last, you know, 12, 13, 14 years uh, trying to communicate with all her children, but um, with my son in particular, since he stopped being able to verbally communicate with me. And I also wanted to bring up the distinction excuse me, between language and communication. And um, But that's coming in, and I want to start off kind of totally different um, before I get into that as a topic. So today sort of a, a rough day for me today in general just because you just, I don't know if it's the weather or or what, but you kind of just, I've just been experiencing these ups and downs. And, you know, my life is or can be exhausting just with the amount of children that I have. <laughs> so, so when I have these kind of blue points, it's, it makes it very more difficult to just be mom in general. So, but my my daughter, my eldest daughter, had a birthday party today, and that went fabulously well. And so my next in line daughter had a big 
breast fire and brimstone and temper tantrum, hitting herself. She hits her cousin in the head, and her cousin's only like five, and, you know, screaming all throughout the place where we had the birthday party, and I, I actually had to leave the party. I was the chaperone, and I had to leave to take her home because it, it, there was no consoling her, and she was just ruining the party for my other daughter. And uh, it was it was just one of those things. So I'm kind of coming down off of that and off of the fact that it took her basically falling asleep to calm down. So she was crying and hitting herself for three hours straight until she finally went to sleep. Thank goodness. So working on that. <laughs> working on that, and that's not what this show is about, but it's kind of related because we're, we're talking about communication and um, the lack thereof. So, uh, I guess where I'll start with this is nonverbal individuals with autism, nonverbal children, nonverbal adults, nonverbal people. They sometimes well, I think sometimes when people see individuals and they're told that this individual can't talk, we we as a society place so much importance on the ability on the ability to be able to speak, which is weird because I think the statistic I I read I don't know heard a couple of years ago is like sixty percent of our communication or fifty percent of our communication is body language. So, but it's weird how in certain, I guess, certain ways we think about things, we put a lot of emphasis and importance on, like, talking, being able to verbalize words. I mean, even if you think about some of the issues, like immigration issues and, and, um, you know, people or tell people, you know, you need to learn how to speak our language um, if you're going to be in our country. I don't know if people are saying that anymore, but (laughs) one time that was, like, a big issue. Um, But if you even think about it, you know, think about the importance. Think about saying that people get so offended, if you will, when they can't understand you whether you're speaking another language or or whether you can't speak. I think people are more compassionate to individuals who physically cannot, you know, talk or have some sort of issue or challenge which bars them, you know, bars their ability to be able to communicate. But we we do put, we, we, we correlate being able to talk with intelligence all the time. Um... If someone can't speak to you, you you think that they're intellectually inferior to you. When you think about um, people who speak other languages and, and you're trying to communicate, what do we tend to do? We tend to talk louder, like that makes a difference. We tend to talk slower, which can help in some ways, but it's, it can be insulting if it's a situation where they don't really know the language. Talking slower is not going to make a difference. Um, 
But if you are an individual on the autism spectrum and you can't speak, it doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean that you can't understand what's going around, going on around you. It doesn't mean that you're not taking information in. And a lot of times, at least what I've noticed in particular with my own son, is that because he cannot verbalize, because he cannot speak, um, people assume that he is not able to understand what's going on around him, which is simply not true. And I think I actually have to fight harder to convince people of his intelligence because he doesn't speak. So how did this come about? How did this come about? So my son, my eldest child, had a typical development, and he started regressing. And he had language. He had probably about 50 to 100 words. He was, for his, for the 12 to 18 month uh, time period before he started regressing, he was meeting his, um, his developmental milestones. So, you know, he had started being potty training. He had started, um, you know, he just, he was starting that beginning level of communication, um, identifying things in his environment. Uh, he knew my name. He knew my, my parents' name, his father's name, that, you know, mommy's daddy, that type of thing. So started regressing, and uh, it seemed as if his language was disappearing at a rate of, like, a word a day. So, you know, just testing him, like, you know, one week, we would be playing with a ball, and he'd be identifying ball, you know. And then the next week, I'm showing him the ball, and he's just looking at it, and he's not. And, you know, at first, it was kind of like, oh, maybe he's just tired of it, doesn't feel like And then you present it again. And then it starts to become a little eerie, <laughs> a little scary, like, well, you know, well, he just was identifying this a couple a week ago, why isn't it, why, why is it making it, you know, why is he can't, he's not saying what it is. So we had a lot of those things happen. And um, as we started the pathway to diagnosis, you know, we got to the point where most of his language disintegrated except mom. And even at this point, he he doesn't even say that now. He, you know, so he can't say that now. So I believe, and I recently kind of made this self, not self-diagnosis, <laughs> but I believe that Cyrus, my son, is a praxic. Because when we try to, to make words, he has a difficulty making them. Um, he's he tries very hard, like he's moving his lips, he's, you know, positioning himself in the same way that we position to try to make the words, but they just, it's like a disconnect, they, it's just not happening. Unlike my daughter, who can imitate most words that you say, whether they use them appropriately, that's another story, but they can imitate the words. It's not an issue for them 
to do that, for him, it is really difficult for him to make words. Um, so he does, he does a lot of, um, he makes a lot of noises, and he can make a lot of vocal noises, but to make them words, he struggles. So um, we have been through a lot of different communication systems because first thing, you want to be able to help your your child or your loved one find a way to communicate their wants and needs. Uh, one of the things that, um, or one of the issues with my son is that he's very he's always been independent, always, and he and he maintains that. But sometimes to teach language, you almost have to make them dependent, or I almost had to make him dependent. And it got to the point where you're saying in your mind, which is more important, that you be able to um, communicate or that you be able to get it for himself. At a certain age, you kind of have to go with the latter because um, if you, you know, fast forward, my son is 16, if you fast forward 10 years, uh, he'll be living either in a, some sort of a group facility or possibly on his own. And it's natural if he wants some juice, he wants, he's going to get up and walk to the kitchen and refrigerator and go get it. He's not going to look around to ask somebody, you know. His access to juice or a drink will not be blocked. So it's funny because we spent years, <laughs> and I laugh at him, he was for years trying to teach teach him to come to us to communicate for things that he gets himself or he has the ability to get himself and things that quote-unquote typical, quote-unquote normal people get for themselves. You know, the last time I ever had to ask for juice was in a restaurant <laughs> for for the, the server to go get it for me, you know. But it, it, it has its place being able to, to have those skills, but um, sometimes you have to weigh what's what is more important, the independence aspect of it or the communicative aspect of it. And and so if we were in a restaurant, would my son be able to order juice with his assistive technology device? Yes. You know, and, and we work, work, you know, we're working on those things. Those are the things that are, how to do those things are the, the finer points of what we work on now. But, I wanted to kind of back up into mindsets because this is this is very key and this is very important to communicating with nonverbal individuals on autism spectrum. If you have a mind, you have to have an open mindset. As you almost have to look at it in the sense of if someone you cared for had a stroke and all of a sudden lost the ability to communicate. Um, that's kind of what it is. We, you should not assume that the person, even if a person stems, you shouldn't assume that they don't know or they're not observing or they're not paying attention. You know, the, the funny thing is that the stimming um, and the, the low, eye, low or no eye contact Still, that individual is maybe paying very close attention to everything that's going around. 
It's just that the sensory aspects of looking at someone or focusing a gaze or or whatever's going on in the body that the stim is comforting, those aspects um, don't bar that individual's ability to still take in information from their environment. And when you're... I mean, that needs to be considered because I, I make this mistake all the time with my daughter that where I'm talking about her in front of her. I know she knows everything that I'm saying and understanding what I'm saying. It's just easier that way. But sometimes we're in, we're in situations where that's easier, but I, I keep trying to remember that I, I, I need to stop doing that because who wants to be talked about in front of them? I don't want somebody. I mean, I hate walking into a situation and somebody's talking about me, you know, not really behind my back, but as an aside, and then, you know, you kind of walk in, and then you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Um, nobody wants to be talked at. Or, oh, the worst is, like, if you're dealing with rude people in public, and you do something, and somebody, you know, is like, did you see what she did? You know, who does she think she is? Like, nobody likes that. And even though it, that comes from a negative place, it, you're, it's condescending to talk about people in front of them even people with disabilities. And and like I said, I I have to remember to do that or not to do that all the time and make an effort not to do that in front of my children. And other people should as well. But I want to go back to this important key, which is the mindset. The mindset is, is that you always assume intelligence, just like you would want someone to always assume intelligence for yourself. Um, there's always a level of something. If, if, the fact, if you think about think about how our bodies and our consciousness is, we have so many different levels and cycles and, and things going on in our bodies that we are not conscious of. Um, you know, the fact that, that, you know, you can keep yourself warm or you know or cool yourself off this is not something that you as an individual thinks about and says oh the temperature has risen to you know 80 degrees so therefore i I will set my cooling (laughs) my cooling system in motion and i will start to sweat you know we don't you don't actively engage in that your body just does it automatically it's a system so Therefore, you have to think about it that just because a person stops talking or can no longer speak or never never exhibited um, the ability to speak, you shouldn't assume that they don't understand what you're saying. So one of the issues that we always had with testing on my son is that he's had no way to show um, to show that he understood what he was being taught. So it, um, the school district and a lot of his teachers and stuff were very worried about putting him in classes or outside of a special education environment because they didn't know if he was understanding what he was learning. That's particularly why I like the school that he's in now because they teach all kinds of different subjects. Like, you know, he's... 16, he's in 11th grade, 
Um, and they teach things like, like right now they're just finishing up an anatomy chapter. And the teacher, um, he goes over the information. I mean, he does a full, a full lecture um, with diagrams. And then, then they have different manipulatives so that kids, the kids on whatever whatever level that they are presenting at um, can understand. So they have manipulatives of like a womb with a baby in it, um, you know, plastic womb with a baby in it. Um, and then different, what I thought was beautiful is the one day that I went to visit was on my son's birthday, I dropped off cupcakes. But one girl was doing, I guess this was kind of like her special interest was math. Um, or uh, like um, equations, and she was actually like, expo- like hope I can explain this so that you can understand. Because <laughs> I was quite impressed and almost couldn't understand it myself. But she was like exponentially breaking down like how a cell divides, you know, to the eleventh and twelfth and thirteenth and fifteenth power, and she was you know doing it on a notepad, and I was just like. And, you know, the teacher had related the lesson of anatomy and how a cell divides and, you know, how a zygote forms a baby, you know, how these cells divide and stuff. And she and they, she had taught it or he had taught it in a way to address this girl's individual interest and, and, and specialty of math in a way that it engaged her. And I just, I just love that type of teaching because that's, that's really intentional and it's really special to be able to to do that um and it assumes intelligence always now um going back to my son um because we've 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 had so many different struggles um different as the times have changed over the last 10 years i've seen how professionals have changed and how how professionals have gotten better at kind of, I think initially when my son was diagnosed, which was, I guess, around 2000, 2001, um, it's weird to think about that, but people weren't really, autism was just becoming quote-unquote, that the epidemic was kind of just gaining steam. So there was a lot of kids getting diagnosed at the time, and there was a lot of professionals trying to play, kind of play catch-up. In the school, in the schools, like, we had all types of different teachers and specialists that we dealt with. Some of them were just coming into the field because of the sheer need for people to work with kids on the spectrum. And not all of them were correctly qualified, if you will. I can remember one of uh, my very first behavioral specialist consultant. I asked her what her background was, and she said English. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. Now, at the time, I didn't know enough to say, (laughs) because this was, like I said, this was my very first behavioral specialist. you know, I didn't know, like, hmm, English, behavioral uh, analysis, you know, applied behavioral analysis, hmm, yeah, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and she didn't stay very long. I think I had her for maybe um, 
maybe three months, and then she moved on to something else. Because if there's no way someone with an English background can really relate without any additional education to to uh, you know analyzing a person, an individual's behavior. So, but that was that was the thing. There was the jobs were open, and there was weren't enough qualified people to fill them. So they were filling them with people who were uh, who had the education, who had like a master's degree, but not necessarily in you know behavioral analysis. But so I've seen we've gone through different steps, and I've seen a lot of different things where where how, how things have changed and how people's viewpoints have changed. We had such a struggle to get a Dynavox for my son. And now, this was funny because these things, these clunky machines were like $8,000. And this was right around the time when um, people were starting to to develop applications for the iPod and the iPad. I think this was like, like when the iPad first came out. Um, or within a couple of years, um, and people were people had their iPhones and such, but it was you know we're, we were having to fight to get a Dynavox, and then um, then I you know I started reading the research and, and seeing the apps for the iPad iPod. My son has an iPod, the smaller one, because he can keep it in his pocket and it's in a true. I like it better than you know, an iPad because I just think it's, it doesn't, you know, it's something he can slip in his pocket and nobody knows that he necessarily has it. It doesn't become, but the, the amount of people that walk around with iPads now just in general, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as it can do the same function. But I digress. My point in saying is that things have changed to the point where you don't really have to fight now to get an assistive te- you don't have to put up a big fight to get an assistive technology device for a nonverbal individual because people recognize the value of these devices and how they help bridge the communication gaps that we have with our non-speaking loved ones and friends. So the mindset that I wanted to make I guess to kind of bring into to focus is that you have to change when I when I son first started losing his language I didn't know what was going on mentally physically like I was like I I had likened it to you know Alzheimer's I was like you know it's like he's he's just forgetting um and because that's what it seems like, it's like, how do you, what kind of explanation, before I knew what autism was, what kind of explanation would you have for someone who just, all of a sudden, their words are disappearing, it's like they're forgetting, you know, and that's how I thought of it, like he's forgetting. And then you start to go through the system and you learn about, you know, you know, you understand about the developmental milestones, but then you re- you realize that your kid is not meeting them anymore, He's not progressing up the social scale and 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 academically. You know, it's hard to see if somebody knows their ABCs and one two threes if they can't recite them to you. Um, and then even if they can identify that an A is an A, 
and they can't say that that's an A. Yeah. So, and this is the mindset I had, a, kind of a novice mindset. So you start to wonder, you know, what exactly is going on in there and you know, what's getting through. So it was about six years before I was able to really fully understand what was getting through to my son. And this was, um, my son was about seven, eight years old, seven seven going on eight years old, and I had, no, it wasn't me, it was my mother actually. My mother had gone to a seminar about communication and she had seen a woman named Soma. Um, I'm not even going to pretend to pronounce her last name, but Soma has a son named Tito. And Soma developed a system called the Rapid Prompting System, Rapid Prompting Method, or RPM. And she had taught Tito all kinds of things, and one of them being how to communicate. And Tito is nonverbal, Tito stims. But Tito is, like, written, like, four or five books by now. But at the time, I think he had just written his first book had come out. My mom was like, we have got to see this woman. So we were trying to follow her. She was in transition at the time from California to Texas. When she got to Texas, we caught up with her. We took Cyrus down for kind of a, she, I don't know if she still has these, but like a little mini uh, three-day workshop where she works with your your child. And so I went there with Cyrus and my mom and my aunt, and I was totally amazed by what I found out. I found out that my son could identify his alphabet. He could count. He knew his he knew addition and subtraction and beginning multiplication. These things, which I know he wasn't learning in special education, the alphabet and the numbers, yes, but they weren't teaching him how to um, add and subtract and multiply and divide. I know that. But she used her method, and I watched her. We have videotapes of it. And, you know, she taught a, a lesson about uh, clouds, and he answered questions, which it opened. You know, it's funny because, you know, this was almost 10 years ago, and I, and I look back, but I cried when I saw this because I did not know that things were actually getting in there or things that could get in there, and they were. And this was the first time that I was able to see my son interact. Not, I don't even say no. It was not like interact with people because he interacts with me. And, but the, fact, the first time that I could see that he could interact in an academic way. And can you imagine the fight that I had to try to get this system get him to be able to learn this system, they basically just totally, um, it's not, it was at the time, it wasn't peer reviewed. I don't even know. Because I gave up, honestly. And I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I gave up. And a lot of times you end up trying to fight these battles and these wars and you just get exhausted by the amount of red tape and the amount of brick walling that you get from people who don't understand that you're simply trying to make your child's life better and they look at everything that you're trying to do as if 
you are trying to make them do more work. And it's so frustrating. It, it upsets me now to even think about it because it's like, it, it, it's the big joke that I have, you know, is that at one point, you know, like I said, I had to fight to get a stupid Dynavox $8,000 brick. And now, you know, they're just giving away iPads, to, you know, to kids who need them. I mean, in a sense, and it's not, it's a fraction of the cost of these things. And it's just how times change. And, but it's frustrating, you know. And we'll get to the point where, where people will understand and come up with new and interesting ways to communicate with our, our nonverbal loved ones. But uh, my point is, is that this method, this RPM method, was was beautiful, and and it helped me open my eyes to what he what he could do. So, you know, now pretty much um, I communicate with him as I would any, any anyone else. You know, I talk to him, um, and there are some issues, some of the challenges that I have uh, with my son in communicating is. Um, he has very good receptive language that he can demonstrate in, in in some ways, but he does get confused about things. A lot of a lot of what he does is rely on patterns, and I think this is highly intelligent as well because your mind will work in a way for your highest and best good, which is beautiful, and. Because for whatever reason, uh, whatever happened internally or whatever's going on internally, he could no longer um, rely, I guess, on his ears for what he was hearing. He started observing us and basically um, it's almost like not predict what we are all predictable, but basically he re- he relies on what I'm most likely to ask him in a particular context. I'll give you a perfect example. So we go into the kitchen, you know, him and I, and I make sure that when I talk to him, I also use a lot of hand gestures too to help him with his quote-unquote predictions, if you will. So we'll go into the kitchen, and um, he's he's very helpful, helps me a lot around the house. So I want him to go get the laundry out of the dryer, which is in the shed, which is attached to the kitchen. Now, I could say, Cyrus, with no, if you can imagine, with no hand motion, go get the laundry out of the dryer. And my response from him would, he would kind of look at me. Now, he would know that I'm talking to him, obviously, because I'm looking at him, um, but he might not know what I'm asking for. So sometimes he'll go... Um, get the trash out because that's something I might ask him to do in the kitchen. And so then I'll, you know, I'll say no, shake my head no, you know. But if I use my gestures and I point to the shed door, Cyrus, can you get the laundry out of the dryer? Then he goes and gets the laundry out of the dryers because he's relying. And so I realized this a couple of years ago because I thought, because I could, I was really, I was asking the behavior specialist and the speech therapist, and I'm like, why is it that sometimes it seems like he has very good receptive language, but sometimes it seems like 
I can ask him for a blanket on the floor and he'll pick up everything on the floor and give it to me. And so I realized that he doesn't really, he he's not really hearing or understanding what I'm asking. He's relying on heavily on contact. So, um, and on past experience, which I think is, is pretty smart because pretty much you have to imagine how many environments he has to do this for. He has to do it at home. He has to do it at school. He has to do it at the store because he's very good at it, you know, because if we go to the grocery store, he has he does it at the grocery store. If we go to Target or if we – so now when he's in an unfamiliar setting, then that's a whole different story. He has to really try hard to see if he can understand what is required of him. And, you know, even even now, like if we're driving and um, he's not sure where we're going, even though I may have said we're going to the doctor's office, he may tap me to, to turn to go to school. And I'm like, no, we're not going to school. We're going to the doctor's office. <laughs> and he gets very upset because he has to be, he likes, it's very secure for him to be in control of his environment, and and it's you know when you're when people aren't understanding you and you aren't understanding them, be controlling all elements of your environment becomes a survival mechanism. And I think that it's a beautiful thing that he's been able to develop, um, uh, in spite of everything, which to me denotes a level of intelligence that is not attributed to him or and other people like him. So, um that's one thing. One thing is is that. Now, uh, I always mention this story because years ago I went to a, a block party and I met a mother and her adult daughter who was on the spectrum who did not have a functional communication system. And I it always stood out to me to remember like whenever I talk to parents who have newly diagnosed um, children or anybody and we're talking about communication systems, I, I, I always express that it's very important for to set your child up with one because you do not want to be in a situation where, you know, this woman must have been in her 60s or 70s and her daughter was probably in her 40s, but she was totally relying on her mother and the question becomes what happens when her mother is no longer there it's not not everyone is going to take the time to learn this girl's communication system um and i'm talking about her personal communication not a functional one because a personal one or one or a familial one if you will is one that, like, my my son has these communication systems with me, with his teachers at school, with with my my parents, you know, and that's how we communicate. But if something happens to us and someone new has to come in, steps into the picture and doesn't understand, you know, that's where the problem comes. Even, like, we have new people come and work with my son. Who... Sorry that you know, and it's getting late for me. I've been up a while. 
I'm sorry to yawn, but um, if we have new people that come and work in, in the house, they have to kind of pick up what his style is because if, and we, as I learned this, this the hard way, you know, one day we were, we were out and, you know, I wasn't thinking at the time. And there's a lot of things you learn at, along the way as a parent. And I wasn't thinking at the time about it, but we were out, and I think we had been to maybe one or a couple of errands to run, one, one or two, three, maybe three or four stores. And my son, all of a sudden, he just started flipping out. And I'm sitting here like, what is going on? I mean, he was. So I'm like, well, let's go. We get in the, we get in the car, and he has an accident. And he he was at the age where uh, an accident was not likely for him. And I was like, oh, you had to go to the bathroom. And he learned a lesson, and I learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson that when he's doing that, well, maybe, you know, first of all, to be a little bit more, uh, to be a little bit more in tune, and I should have sort of the bathroom. But also, the, his behavior was linked to his inability for me to get me to understand what he was trying to communicate to me. Now, how did we resolve this? Yes, in my mind, I said, okay, make sure to take him to the bathroom more often. But what he did is every place we went, the first place he went was the bathroom. So <laughs> this, as, I don't know how soon after that accident happened, but I then remember we went to, like, Kmart, and as soon as he went in, he, like, walked around the store until he found the bathroom. And then he went, I mean, he was fine. So he now makes it a point because he can't rely on me, unfortunately. <laughs> but he now makes it a point to find all the bathrooms when we go out. And he doesn't have to do it now because he knows where they all are now for the most part. But he, but when we go into a new environment, like we recently started going to a new therapy center, and he made sure to find out pretty much where all the bathrooms were. Um, and he will use them to tell you that he knows where they are. Um so when he goes, when we go into a new building and he goes off, I try to make sure, you know, keep him from going in. Because he'll go into, like, every door. And I used to get upset, but then I realized he's going through every door so he can find out where things are that he needs or that he knows that he's going to need. You know, so he adapts to his situation, and he's adapted, you know, to the situation. Not always, quote, unquote, appropriate, but this is how... He keeps himself secure and safe, and uh, because he knows that the communication sometimes can be faulty between the two of us, it breaks down a lot. Um, and I love that independent streak about him. I love it. So, okay, we're going into the last 15 minutes, and I haven't shared yet one resource. And it's funny because as I was re- researching, you know, communicating, the whole point was to share my experience. I wasn't. This wasn't going to be a show where I was going to say, well, there's this and this and this and this method. But I did want to come up with a couple of resources because um, my experience, (laughs) as vast and and wonderful as it is, is not uh, always there. It's not that. There's there's more value in having other resources, I should say. Um, So I'm going to try to open up here. 
separating my screen here so I can open up the resources. Now, I the last show that I did, not the one I fell asleep on, but the last actual full show, I found this website called Pearl Trees. Um, it is cool because it has so many different Oh, check it, yawn. Oh, my goodness. It has so many different, um, ways for you to share information. I love it because you can basically create, like, an online folder, and then you give out the link, and it has everything. You can put pictures. You can put um, audio clips, videos, uh, PDFs. Uh, web pages, and I really like it um, for sharing information, particularly because I can have as many pearl trees um, as I need for my for my podcast, and so it's all there on one concise page on like my page. But then it's, I can split each each resource, each topic up into its own file folder. So. If someone comes and visits my Pearl Tree page, they get all my autism resources if that's what I have up there. So now I'm just trying to navigate over there. So so I did come up with I did find two or three. I thought were pretty valuable. So give me a second. Sorry, I should have had this up before, but like I said, I was spending the last 10 minutes look for, looking for um, my headset that I never found. So, okay. So I came up with two resources. One is 23 ways to communicate with a nonverbal child. So I'm going to go over a couple of these. This is from, um, let's see. And, it, and it's funny because I think we all have a is particularly if you have a loved one who's nonverbal, we all have that scene. Just because a person cannot speak doesn't mean they have nothing to say. And um, they were talking about, uh, let's see, I'm going to see some of the, there are some good ones. Let's see. Number five is it has meaning, it's just not obvious. We treat every nonverbal indication as a communication and try to work out what. Gabby is trying to say to us that talking about her um, daughter, the person who wrote this particular article. Do you want X or Y, giving choices, find other means of expression, give your child an opportunity to express themselves through dance, music, drawing, painting, messing with textures, banging drums, shaking maracas, and joining too. Um, oh, that brings me to a secondary point particularly. My son loves Disney movies, and I realized a couple, somebody, some man wrote a book about this, but I realized this years ago. But then I realized, hey, maybe, maybe your kid's not the only one who does this. <laughs> but my son uses, uh, it's almost like a, a, a video scripting. Uh, like instead of verbally scripting the movies that that he likes, the Disney movies that he likes, he does a video scripting on, on YouTube. And even with, uh, it used to be VHS tapes, but now it's YouTube. We do still have the VHS tapes, though. They're, they're never getting thrown away except by Lola, my daughter. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he does a video scripting type thing where he will repeat phrases over and over. Now, I thought it was just a sim, 
you know, just comforting him to hear the same pattern over and over, but it's not. It's, he's actually communicating with us, and sometimes, sometimes the phrases that he picks out are so dead on to the situation. It, it's like it's it's intelligent. It's it, this is the way he communicates. I, I I was having a particular bad day, bad week, bad year. <laughs> He had um, found a song, I'll Stand By You, and it was, you know, overlaid over some sort of Lion King thing. Lion King is his alternate favorite Disney movie. But he kept pre- he kept playing this part, I'll stand by you, I'll stand by you, I'll stand by you. And I took it as him communicating that he had my back. Even though I was going through this, negative time in my life, he had my back. And then he goes on other songs. Now, sometimes those people read stuff and I'm like, Cyrus, I know that you're talking to me or, you or, or you know, so and it's age-appropriate, like, teenage angst <laughs> or teenage rebellion. But, um, but that's communication. That is, that's another way to express how he's feeling even though he can't verbalize it. And if you're not open-minded enough to see that, or, he, you know, things aren't just coincidence. I mean, he's not just repeating stuff over and over. It, you start to realize there's a intelligence behind it because he's changing up the phrases sometimes, and it's not always off stand by you. Then he'll go to, for a while, he was into Kesha. And I'm like, why are you into this? Because she was talking about getting drunk and getting high. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? I don't want to know. But, um, you know, but this is, it's a level of communication. You have to have an open mind and to be able to hear it and to be able to understand it. And then also to be able to respect it on some level. Okay, some other create social stories. Social stories are great. I love social stories. Um, make flashcards. Instant mobile photos. Don't forget to make the best use of your mobile. It's a, it's a fabulous instant device to use a photo communication tool. Um, t- my top tip is Makaton Sign Language. We're so glad we taught Zoe to use Makaton, although she can't yet say any words. Signing relieves any frustration. Um, she can tell us what she wants. And the signs we use help her understand what we say. It takes a while, but it's really worth sticking. Now, I, I have used sign language with my twins because of that. Because, um, and they have taken on to it. They still uh, verbalize, but they also will do signs. And I gave them simple signs like more and um, all done and more all done. I think those are the two big ones. Um but it's helped. It definitely helped with their frustration. And I know they're not on autism spectrum, so I know this is, it's not totally relatable, but in many ways they're similar because they can't communicate yet, but they have they have needs, wants, and desires that they certainly want to make sure I know about. So <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, they mentioned Proloquo to go. That's the... That is the app that we use on um, on Cyrus's iPod, on his iTouch. Um, Word bubbles, community bands. Now, this is uh, 
communal bands are reestablished. Yes, no response by using communal bands. Tap, wave, lift, move, arms with green. Yes, wristband, and arm with red, no wristband. This makes it clear for everyone to understand. Community bands are available at thegreencrab.com. Now, that is a very good thing. Plus, it's, it's easy for an outsider to be able to pick. I always think of situations like if my son is out and I'm not available, what what can I have or how can he have something on him where he can still communicate? So, and, and you should think about those things, too, because you will not always be around. Your your child may get lost. Your loved one may get lost. Your, your loved one uh, is going to be in circumstances, if not in school, but in other circumstances in life where it's not necessarily appropriate for mom and dad to be there with them. And so they still have to get their needs met, and they still have to be able to communicate with those around them. So, so that's one resource you can get. Um, the other one is autism. Oops. Autism, developing expressive communication skills for nonverbal children with autism. This is um, a web page, and this kind of goes over. This is written by an autism consultant. Um, what is communication? Kind of very um, functional definition. Key questions to consider in order to determine the child's current communication abilities. Does the child exhibit intentional communication? Yeah. And then she gives examples. A parent responds to a crying child. At this point, the child has not exhibited communicative intent. However, if the child continues crying, looks at the parent, and then looks at the desired object, intent to communicate it has been demonstrated. Though crying, looking at the adult, looking at the object, the child is anticipating that she will obtain the wanted item. Um, some of the other things that she brings up. How does the child use his language to communicate? Is there a reason to communicate? Um, does the child initiate and or respond to communicative interactions? Is the child able to use repair strategies when communication breakdown occurs? Due to their significant difficulties in successfully communicating, children with autism may experience frequent occurrences of communication breakdown as both speakers, expressively communicating, and listeners when asked to respond. Therefore, it is important to determine if the child has developed or is able to use any communicative, any communication repair strategies for both receiving and expressing communicative messages. Communication breakdown as a listener, and then she goes through what some of these um, strategies could be. It's a very good um, page. Uh, and with a lot of good information. It's on the Pearl Tree um, as well. So, oh, it is 12.55, and it has been a long day, and I I wanted to, there was another resource I wanted to share, but I don't really have time to go into it. Like, I want, plus I'm still researching it. So, I plan to revisit this topic again with a little bit more depth to it. I kind of just wanted to open up kind of for this to be a explanation or a kind of a nugget of understanding for those out there who are a little intimidated by uh, trying to, in trying to communicate with an individual who doesn't speak or, or can't speak. And 
we all need human contact and we all need human uh, interaction to some degree. Oh, uh, I'm not going to say we all need it. We all desire it at one point. Even the most, you know, uh, secretive, uh, <laughs> secluded individual, you know, is, is still craving some sort of human interaction um, and is either given up on it or or has decided uh, to find it in a different in a different manner. But my point is saying is that we have a, a duty to look outside of the box, look outside of the obvious. When we see someone who is struggling, communicate, can't or won't or doesn't do it very well, you know, don't throw them off the cliff as if they don't exist because that's the worst. And, and there there's so many people who do do that, who just aren't intelligent enough to to understand that not being able to speak has nothing to do with intelligence. Uh, but, you know, make it a point to, to be open-minded and to really observe, you know, what your loved one is, is trying to, to say to you in some format, even with their behavior. And, um, you know, I, I will do the same. I am and will do the same. So thank you for joining me. Um, I hope this was beneficial, uplifting, informative, to to someone uh, because that is the whole purpose of this this show is to be that way and um, I do tell a lot of personal personal um, emotions and interpretations of what's going on around me but I do so because I just want to connect with people and for people to understand that, that you're the expert you are the one who, as a parent, and as even as an individual who's advocating for themselves on some on some level, you know what you need. You know what your child needs to a certain degree. And if you don't know, if you love your child or loved one, make it an effort to find out and, and, and to take it to take that relationship to a different level. So thanks again, like I said, for joining me. Next week, I haven't come up with a topic yet. Um, kind of throwing some different ideas around again. If you want to reach out to me, my email is aut aut dot to know at gmail dot com. This is discover the all in autism, and I think I'm out. No, I'm out. I'm definitely out. Until next, until next Saturday morning. Peace.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.